reminding us of our calling and ability to love. Here's Pastor Ed Ray. Love is a choice, volition. You have that power to love people that are unlovable, to recognize that they are created by God in His image and they have great value and give them the respect, if nothing else, because they're made in His image. That's our great privilege to represent Him. That's the commandment that we'll do until Jesus Christ appearing. Zion, I build with hands and in this place gotta dwell with man. Sick be healed and the crippled stand singing Son, selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. I say, let this world know me by your love. To love one another is our call. And that's what Jesus did, and it's what he's commanded us to do. It's a battle, but it's worth the fight, as we've been learning on Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. Well, today we'll conclude our study in 1 Timothy. In chapter 6, we discover we'll have to fight to overcome what gets in the way of love. There are three things to be mindful of. And on our last broadcast, we began looking at them. The first was immorality. Now here with the second from chapter 6, verse 11, Pastor Ed. Second thing he tells us to flee from is idolatry. Sometimes it's connected to immorality. 1 Corinthians 10, 14, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry because of all the temples and whatnot. 1 John 5, 21, little children, keep yourself from idols, flee. And there's a lot of idols in life besides sexual ones. There's drugs and alcohol and gambling and there's cars and there's boats and there's motorcycles and, and there's stuff, right? But he says, run from them, flee from those. You're tempted, just go somewhere else, do something different. Lastly, he says, the love of money, flee from that. Don't go there, don't go to Las Vegas, hello? Riches are not eternal is the point. Riches do not bring contentment, even though they seem like they should. Riches cause greater temptations than the one you're already under can produce greed in our lives, which blinds us to other people's needs, which is why God would bless our life with riches. Uh, pursuing riches can lead us away from faith in God and in trusting Him. We start to trust on the finances that we have, and it can destroy our lives. It's just that simple. So we are called to flee and then to pursue our God pursue these various things. Fight the good fight of faith, in this case, the agazomia, the, the agonize. The reason the word is connected with the Olympic Games especially, we have a different view of the Olympics. You know, it's all very polite. You get second place, you're down a step. You get third place, you're down a step further. In that day, when they were boxing, for example, two Greek historians tell us from that time, tell us they used leather gloves, something like what we do today. They're soft, the fur on the inside. The outside of it, they would sew into it bits of metal and bone and stone. Mm. So imagine what that would do to the opponent's face and what his glove would do to your face. So you didn't look real good when you finished. And often it killed the person. Wrestling, we could go on and on, but wrestling was uh, particularly terrible because the loser had his eyes gouged out. He spends the rest of his life blind. Agonize, that's the root of the word here, to agonize. 
So agonize in this good fight of faith that God has called you and I to stand our ground. It is a battle. It is a spiritual conflict with Satan's kingdom. I came across a quote by Tertullian. He was about 170, he wrote. It was about 100 years after the letter we're reading. He was right in the middle of persecutions, and it's called An Address to the Martyrs. He said this, You are about to enter a noble contest in which the living God acts the part of superintendent. The Holy Spirit is your trainer, a contest whose crown is eternity, whose prize is citizenship in heaven and glory forever and ever. So he was warning these martyrs who were about ready to go into the Roman Colosseum that they were going into this battle. The Holy Spirit will uh, train you and take care of you. The crown is not some laurel wreath, but it is in fact eternity with God and citizenship in heaven when you finish it. So Jew said, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith. It's going to be a battle. You don't know how much faith you have until you find yourself in a battle, and God allows the battles to come into our life. And, you know, you're here this morning. If you're a believer, you're either in a battle right now or you've just come out of one or you're going into another one. Gee, thanks for the encouragement, Pastor. But that's the reality of our lives, that we are called into this good fight of faith. How do we fight it? Romans chapter 12, verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. God, help me. I'm in the middle of a difficult situation. Take down Satan's power that he's using against me. 2 Timothy 4.7, the next book, Paul writes and says, I have fought the good fight. He knew he was in a battle. I have finished the race, and I have kept the faith. That's where we all want to be that you fight the battle, you finish the race, and that you have kept the faith all the way through it, steadfastly, going all the way. George Phillips said it this way, a Christian lives in two worlds at the same time, the world of the flesh and the world of the spirit. It is possible to do both. There are certain dangerous gases which from their weight fall to the lower part of the place where you are, making it destructive for even a dog to enter, but safe for a man who holds his head erect. A believer is living in the world of flesh, is constantly passing through these kinds of places. Let him keep his head erect in the spiritual world, looking, seeing, have eyes. The, open the eyes of your heart. You can't see it with your physical senses. You can't smell it. You can't taste it. You can't touch it. You can't hear it. But God will give you eyes in your heart. Open the eyes of our heart, Lord. He does this so long as the Son of God is the fountain where he draws his inspiration. If you go to God as your source, his motives, his encouragements, and his strength will carry you through. That's what God wants us to be and do, to have that mindset. I'm fighting against something. Now, sometimes we become overwhelmed with the spiritual struggle because we believe that we are no match for the enemy who is against us. Well, the truth is you are not. I am not a match for him. But the one who we serve is. In fact, he already defeated Satan at the cross. He defeated the powers and principalities at the cross. So you and I, 
will succeed when we call on the name of the Lord. When you're buried, when you're trapped, when you think things are just crushing you, just say his name. Jesus. I do it all the time. I'm either saying grace or Jesus, and I don't mean before food. <laughs> I mean, I'm crying out, God, give me grace. I need grace. I'm an idiot. I'm, I'm about ready to go under. Sometimes all you can say is his name. There's no other name under heaven by which a person might be saved, rescued, redeemed. Jesus, don't you feel that? Do you feel that when I say that? Yeah, that, that's, that's his name. It's not me, right? It's him. You just say Jesus. And he always comes. He always brings help. Just call on the name of the Lord and you will be saved. That's his promise. I just know that there's struggles going on here. Elisha's servant was struggling with all the battle that was arrayed against him. The Assyrian army, 185,000 military in front of them. And he said, open his eyes so that he can see that those who are against us are overwhelmed by those who are for us, that God is for us, and nothing is hard for him, nothing is impossible for him. I feel like I'm speaking to at least one person who's just buried right now in something. Jesus, just call on him. You lay hold of eternal life, grab onto it. Like the woman who reached out and grabbed the hem of Jesus' garment, you remember? She had this flow of blood for 12 years, and all she could do is grab. And Jesus is dragging her around a little bit, and sometimes I feel like that's what I am. I mean, but that's okay. Just hang on to him. He'll get you through it. Confession in the presence of many witnesses. We're not sure which event Paul is talking about. Maybe talking about the baptism of this young man, Timothy. Maybe talking about when he was ordained. Maybe talking about when he first surrendered his life. When he prayed a sinner's prayer. Now, I get flack for that. Here we give people an opportunity to pray a sinner's prayer. Well, you got a verse for that? How about the thief on the cross? How about this verse right here? You cry out. You give a good confession. You, can, you say, God, forgive my sins. Take my life. I surrender. And God says, it's done. I already did it at the cross. You're just accepting what I did. If you would confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So it's that, yeah. So that's what he's talking about here, the good confession. He says Jesus did the same thing before Pontius Pilate. What's he talking about? Matthew 27, 11. Pilate says, are you the king of the Jews? Whoop. Trick question. All of heaven listened. All the angels stopped. Everyone in that room stopped and listened because this was Jesus' opportunity to get out of the mess he's in, right? All he's got to say is, no, I'm not king of the Jews. Meaning, well, I'm you know, really the king of everything. <laughs> but instead he said, you have said it. You nailed it, Pilate. He stood up and said the right thing, the complete thing, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Yes, I am king of the Jews and I am king of the Gentiles and I'm king of this earth and I'm king of the Roman Empire and I'm king of the cosmos. Thanks for listening to Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. We've been looking at the testimony of Jesus before Pilate, setting the record straight. With more from 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 13, here's Pastor Ed. Pontius Pilate. Who's Pilate? 
Is he real? Until 1961, all the naysayers said, no, there's no Pontius Pilate. There's no record in Roman history of a guy named Pilate who was the governor of Judea. Until 1961, an archaeologist is digging in Caesarea by the sea, and he goes, clunk, and his shovel hit a big stone. Those of you that have been to Israel with us, you've seen it. It's this Pontius Pilate right on it, the governor of Judea. And you can go to the museum in Jerusalem, put your finger in it, touch it. They even let you touch it. Right next to it is the stone that mentions King David. Right next to that is the bone box of Caiaphas, the high priest that put Jesus to death. Is this a real faith? Yeah, it's connected to history. You know, archaeologists like to say, well, we uh, prove or disprove the Bible. Uh Uh-uh. You guys go home and you read the Bible and find out where to dig. (laughs) That's what it is. That's what's going on. Okay. There you go just uncovered the truth. That's embarrassing. I urge you in the sight of God, we just did this one, Pontius Pilate, verse 14, that you keep this commandment without spot, blameless, until the Lord Jesus Christ appearing. Doesn't say sinless, says blameless. Well, how do I stay blameless? You keep short accounts between the sin that you did, yes, yes, you do and I do, either sins of commission or sins of omission. And when you get it, you go, Lord, forgive me. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness, and we are then blameless. That's what you do. You put it on Jesus. He already took it. You just are saying, I recognize that you took it. I confess it. Homo lugeo. I say the same thing you do, Lord. Thank you that you keep this commandment without spot, blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ's appearing. This commandment, what commandment? that you would love one another. I give you a new commandment. It's all summed up in that one word, love, that you would love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and you'd love your neighbor as yourself. Awkward, isn't it? (laughs) I have to choose. Love is a choice, volition. You have that power to love people that are unlovable, to recognize that they are created by God in his image and they have great value and give them the respect if nothing else, because they're made in his image. That's our great privilege to represent him. That's the commandment that we'll do until Jesus Christ appearing. He's coming, you know. Keep your eyes on Israel. That's God's timepiece. How are things going in Israel? Wow, it's really heating up. Now, are you saying Jesus is coming back now? I hope so, but no, I don't know. I think he should come back today. But he doesn't take advice from me. I've suggested several times when I thought it was a good time, and so far he says, thanks anyway, Ed. Uh, Not listening to you in that area. Verse 15, which he will manifest in his own time. Whoops, there it is. (laughs) Oh, if you want to make God laugh, give him your advice, right? In his own time, he decides... He who is the, and then he begins to enter into this doxology, this blessing, this recognition of who God is. He's the only potentate. He's the only one over all things. Only one in authority, literally it says, the king of kings and the lord of lords, ruler over all other kings and prime ministers and presidents, anyone who think they're in charge, they're all under him. The Lord of lords, anyone who thinks that they have some kind of power over another person, the lord of some kind... No, no, he is overall. But it goes on, look at verse 16, who alone has immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light. I love this verse. Whom no man has seen or can see, 
to whom be honor and everlasting power. Amen. God alone has immortality. Some cults incorrectly teach that humans have immortality. This verse contradicts that false teaching. If you grew up in that, here's the verse that says it isn't true. God alone has the self-sustaining power of immortality. He alone controls that power. Oh yes, he will give it to you and to me, but we need to keep the power where it resides. Keep focus on him. That's who he is. He is in fact immortal, dwells in unapproachable light. Wow, there's a picture. I love this picture. Unapproachable in the sense that no person, no sinful man, no sinful woman has ever been able to see God in his full glory. You can't, his glory means weight, the kabat, his weight. Now, yes, we saw Jesus. We didn't, but those who were around him in that day did. He is God, but he had compressed himself down into a human body. It would break out every now and then, like at the Mount of Transfiguration, but that was not full bore. That was not wide open throttle. That was just a little crack. You know, open the door, blinded kind of a thing. That's what it says, unapproachable light. And he has unimaginable power and majesty. We can't comprehend it completely. The most incredible mystery of Christianity is that God came with us. Luke 2.11, angels declared, this day in the city of David is born unto you a savior, which is Christ the Lord, Emmanuel, which means God with us. The creator of all things walked around the earth whom no man has seen or can see. Yeah, they saw him. But someday, though, someday, when you and I take our last breath here, our next breath is in heaven, and we see him, and seeing him, we'll be like him. Because then we're not stuck in this old, you know, entropy failing body. Command, those were rich, verse 17, last section. In this present age, not to be haughty. Don't be prideful if God has blessed you with money, the ability to make money. God gives some people that. Not to trust in uncertain riches, they're unreliable. But in the living God, he is alive here, right now. We've gathered in his name. God the Son is here. He is alive, who gives us richly all things to enjoy. That's an important part of this verse. See, God doesn't say, well, everything that uh, is here is bad. No. He doesn't say the money is bad. Doesn't say that pleasure is bad. He doesn't say that things are bad. In fact, he gives us good things to enjoy. He wants this life to be enjoyable. But the danger is that we would put our trust in things that are not reliable. 18, let them do good, those who have been given the gift of making money, that they be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share. If God's blessed you with money, and there are many in this church that God has, praise God that he can trust you with it. Obviously, he can't trust me. That's why I'm doing what I'm doing. Meeting the needs of others, spiritually and materially in missions and in homeless people or whatever it is God puts on your heart. Bless others with it. Storing up for themselves, verse 19, a good foundation for the time to come. You have a bank account in heaven. I have a bank account in heaven. Are you sending money ahead? Can't take it with you, but we can send it ahead. Holding on to, lay hold on. It literally says get a grip, just like we would say today. Get a grip on eternal life. Recognize it's the thing to chase after. 
grab on to eternity. Here, now, it starts here. Serve God in this life with an eternal perspective. 20, O Timothy, guard what was committed to you in your trust, avoiding the profane and vain babblings and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. A Gnosticism, or Gnostic, the Greek word for no, was beginning to rear its ugly head here. It continues down to this day. The movie is called Da Vinci Code. It's a picture of the Gnostics, what they believe. And Paul says, don't put your trust in those things because God has committed to you truth already. In fact, he actually says that they're literally ignorant, uninformed, and without understanding. So, don't bother to see the movie if you haven't. Verse 21, by professing in it, or professing it, some have strayed concerning the faith. They got trapped. They got sidetracked. We have to be careful not to assume that God can be completely understood. He cannot. We are here studying his word so we will understand him, but we cannot fully understand him until seeing him we will be like him. Careful of that trap. Some have thought, well, I can grasp God. Not entirely. Then he ends with my favorite word, grace. Grace be with you. Amen. Charis, the Greek language. It's a gift. It's salvation. It's the grace to get through the day. It's, as I said, the right word to pray when you're stuck, when you're buried, when you feel like you're about ready to go under. Just say grace. David Brainerd was a missionary to these Americas back in the early 13 colony days. He wrote, once more, never think that you can live to God by your own power or strength. Always look to and rely on him for assistance. Yes, for all strength and grace comes from him. Grace must be and must find expression in life. Otherwise, it is not grace. If you have received grace, and you all have, living in this nation, you certainly have received much grace, then it's only really grace when you've given it away to someone else. Luther said, the law works fear and wrath. Grace works hope and mercy. As a little boy, I used to read Jules Verne, you know, like elementary school. The father of science fiction, some have called him 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea and Journey to the Center of the Earth. But the one that got me was a, a novel that was called The Mysterious Island. So the setting is, these guys are in a prison and they hijack a balloon to get out of prison. It's the 1800s, it was like stealing a helicopter today, right? And so they're in this hot air balloon, they get away and they get out past land and go out over the ocean. And so they're over the ocean and everything, they're all smiling, everything's going good. But then they notice they start to run low on fuel and the balloon starts to drop. And so they look around for stuff they can throw out and they're throwing out, you know, unnecessary things, ladders and pieces of equipment and everything. The balloon goes up, works for a while. About a half an hour later, starts to go down again. They said, we got to throw everything out of here possible. And so they take off their clothes and they throw everything they can think of out of it even water and food, and it goes up for a while. And then it starts coming down again. And just as it's coming down, they look off and they see an island that they're being blown to. So they climb up into the rigging, and they cut off the basket and just leave the furnace and them hanging on. And they barely make it, but they make it into the surf right at the island, and then the story goes on. Now you want to read it, right? Okay. So... But the picture is, for us, is that when they tried to surround themselves with things that were unnecessary, it was going to kill them. But when they jettisoned all the baggage of life, they rose and were saved. With that illustration from Pastor Ed Ray, we wrap up today's Grow in Grace. And that begs the question, 
What's weighing you down? What do you need to jettison? Don't hold on to it any longer, for if you have Jesus, you have all you need. We've just polished off our study in 1 Timothy, and we hope you got a lot out of it. For a CD copy of today's message, call 844-77-GRACE. That's 844-77-GRACE. Or listen online at thepackinghouse.org. And look for us on iTunes as well. We can hook you up with many more resources to help you grow in grace when you visit thepackinghouse.org, like Pastor Ed's devotional. Speaking of resources, today we'd like to make special mention of Fearfully and Wonderfully Made, authored by renowned surgeon Dr. Paul Brand and Philip Yancey. Together they explore the human body and uncover statements that God has made about our bodies. They point out that the human body is like a window into the very structure of God's creation and a testament to God's glory. This month, we'll send this to those of you who support Grow in Grace with a donation of any amount. You might think of it as our way of saying thanks. Please remember that your gifts help us to bring Pastor Ed's teachings to the radio every day. To make a year-end contribution, go online at thepackinghouse.org or call 844-77-GRACE. Tomorrow on Grow in Grace, we'll turn a page and begin 2 Timothy with Pastor Ed Ray. Be a part of the journey, and it all starts Friday. This program is listener-supported and brought to you by the Packing House Christian Fellowship in Redlands. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place gotta dwell with man. Sick be healed and the crippled stand singing Son, selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love.